Hello, I'm Wayne, and this is my Iron Maiden podcast, sponsored by Greg's The Baker's Shop, Best Egg Custards in Stetchford. On these shows, look at the songs of Iron Maiden, and how they influenced me growing up as a boy in 1980s and 1990s Birmingham. Look at the songs today as well, in the 21st century, see if my opinions have changed. This week, I'm looking at the song, Wasting Love which is track 6 on the Fear of the Dark album. Last week, I did an episode on Childhood's End, and had some feedback. Now last week, I didn't put out any posts on social media about the new episode. This caused uproar. I had Mickey Finn send in a message saying, how can I comment on the episode if you don't post on social media? Well, there's a problem there, isn't there? Because this person has sent in a comment to me, complaining that they can't send in a comment to me. And the answer's there, isn't it? What Instead of sending a comment in, complaining, maybe you should have used this time to make a comment on the episode. Now, I did get a message from Mark Feld, so he managed it, but he was also not happy. His comment was about the dance move in Yannick's Getting Jiggy With It section. The scale and polish, you may remember. Now, he tried this out in a nightclub, and it didn't go well. He said he was... Uh, Doing the bit where you make your hand into a fist and you move your arm up and down quickly as if you're scraping the plaque off someone's gums. And he was thrown out by the bouncers, claiming it was an indecent gesture. So uh, that's disappointing, isn't it? And he doesn't recommend that other listeners try this, so bear that in mind. At last, someone comments about the song Childhood's End. It's Ballad of Balf. And he says that the song's got very distinctive drumming on the chorus. And it's one of the better tracks on the album. So that's interesting, isn't it? Anyway, this week, we're talking about the song Wasting Love. Now that's an interesting title, isn't it? Wasting Love. How can you waste love? It's not something you hear in conversation, someone wasting love. I can see how you might waste other things, like if you're too full and you can't eat all your pudding. That's wasting pudding, isn't it? I remember Mr Douglas, a supply teacher. He didn't like it when I dawdled into the classroom. And he said, stop wasting time. So you can waste other things, but love's strange. Maybe wasting time is like an answer here. Maybe someone's wasting their time in loving someone. You know, maybe they, they feel a love for somebody and it isn't being reciprocated. And then maybe that's almost wasting love. Like Todd Landers in Neighbours. He had that crush on Emma, but she was more attracted to bad boy graffiti artist Nick Page. Or maybe wasting love is about a potential love where someone is wasting an opportunity to make a move or do something about it. Imagine, for example, that you're at a school disco and you've got this brief moment. You're buying a 10 pence mix-up and she's standing there looking at you. This girl. You can't quite hear what she's saying because Respectable by Mel and Kim is blaring out the speakers. Her face is quite close to yours and you don't know what's happening and you're getting a bit distracted and sweaty. But then you notice the lady helping out of the disco, serving sweets, she's putting bubblegum in the bag. So you correct her and repeat that you don't want bubblegum. And then you turn back to this girl and the moment's gone. So then you go and run off and do the Rathchild dance, stuffing your face with some sherbet UFOs. And this doesn't happen in films, does it? Or on Degrassi Junior High. I'm talking about the 1980s, of course, here, school discos. But then things didn't improve in the 90s at big boys' school. As it happens, the song Wasting Love isn't about any of these things. It's more about passionate encounters that are brief and meaningless. 
Someone's wasting the potential for love because they're not going beyond lust. Now this is clearly referring to sex and you might remember that I'm not too comfortable talking about this. This sort of behaviour isn't mentioned in the Osborne book of growing up because they don't want to promote it to youngsters. But the word promiscuity but the word promiscuity is in the glossary. Hi, this is Adrian Smith. Uh, as you may know, we're on tour now, so here I am in Croatia, about to read from the Osborne Book of Growing Up. So yes, didn't expect that. But uh, it's exciting, I'm about to do our first gig. Um, this hotel here in Croatia is very nice. Um, I can't tell you which hotel it is, of course. Uh, I'm in a twin room, uh, which is nice. Steve doesn't let us have double rooms. It's so that we're not distracted and we can focus on the gig. Yeah, the room's quite good. It's got a lot of nice features. There's a good storage facility for your pants and socks. There's a trouser press, Wi-Fi, some tea bags. And you don't always get tea bags abroad, so I'm, I'm rather happy. Quite tasteful interiors. And the room service menu is nice. I might order some sandwiches later. I'd better make sure that I have some loose change, though, to tip the sandwich boy. I often forget that. Anyway, you're not here for a behind-the-scenes look on our tour. You're here for me to read the uh, extract from the Osborne Book of Growing Up on promiscuity. So uh, I've had to go to the glossary for it, so here we go. Page 46, glossary, letter P. Promiscuity. Sexual intercourse with several different casual acquaintances over a short period of time. Prostitute, person who has sex with someone in return for payment. See also harlot. Pubic lice. Okay, that's enough. I don't like sexy sex talk, but I can cope with talking about love, which is useful for this episode. But it wasn't always the case. I remember playing a game of tennis with Fiona Gregory in PE once, and when I shouted out the score, 15 love, I was worried that she might think I was calling her love, the way the dinner lady called you love. That one who poured the jug of custard or gravy. Not the fat pudding lady. She didn't use terms of endearment. Anyway, you're not here to listen to my experiences with Fiona Gregory, or lack of them. You're here for wasting love. And love is one of the most popular words used in song titles, along with the and you. Love is a stranger. You can't hurry love. Don't talk to me about love. I want to know what love is. Is this love? These are all song titles. I mean, there are several songs with love in it that don't relate to me and my experiences, or lack of them. Songs with love in the title tend to be slow, or like ballads. We get a change of pace here with Iron Maiden. The intro, yeah, listen to it. You've got this standard slow drum beat and, and quite a gentle riff. Now some people have described this as their only love song and other rock bands were having hits with slower songs around this time. More Than Words by Extreme, November Rain by Guns N' Roses and Nothing Else Matters by Metallica and here Iron Maiden seem to be following suit. There's more of an acoustic feel after that intro and this noodling high bass bit. So it sets the scene well for a soft ballad, maybe about love. And Bruce comes in. He says, maybe one day I'll be an honest man. Maybe one day I'll be an honest man. 
Now this isn't Bruce saying he's got a problem with telling some fibs. Even though he may have said in his autobiography that he read the headlines about Yuri Gagarin at the age of two and a half and realised their importance in the grand scale of world history. And this line isn't about Bruce talking about this period in Iron Maiden where he probably said always tickety-boo to Steve Harris before he decided to do one later in the year. Maybe he wasn't being honest there. In this case, he's talking about an honest man, perhaps in the sense of settling down or maybe even marrying. He then says, up till now, I'm doing the best I can. Long roads, long days of sunrise to sunset. This suggests that maybe it's hard to contemplate settling down due to this life on the road touring, those long days. In the next section, there's this sense that he's telling us to make the most of our time while we have it. He talks of the tides of time. And then it kicks in. It's got this rocky vibe, this chugga chugga bit, but it still fits the mood. the chorus talks about the emptiness and the loneliness due to this wasting love. It talks about a desperate caress and that's an attempt to feel something but it's fleeting and it's futile as it doesn't take away those usual feelings of loneliness. I can only relate this to chocolate bars, like comfort eating. You might feel good for a moment eating it, you'll get this buzz of excitement, this feeling and some stimulation but it's over too quickly and sometimes it's a bit messy. After the chorus, we go back to the acoustic bit again and he repeats that previous section about brothers and sisters dreaming of what they need. Now this isn't some sort of weird incest thing. He's relating it to men and women generally and how they feel as humans and perhaps talking about the different expectations of love. And it's sad that he's repeating a full four lines so soon into the song. I mean, there are some changes to how he sings each line, so that's something. And he does develop on that tides of time by saying that the sand is flowing. So we can all relate to that. All our lives pass the same. Whether we're waiting in a cold cell for the bells to chime. Or we sat in our mum's spare bedroom. And then we get another chorus. So yeah, standard structure. Even though I've mentioned it has been labelled a love song. I don't think we can compare it to those songs like More Than Words. Because this seems more gritty. It's more about the problems rather than talking about someone's beautiful eyes and how they make you feel and how they look so wondrous in a shepherdess outfit. First chorus, verse chorus, so I think we should expect a solo next and we get an instrumental break, which is just a repeat of the intro. Then there's this sort of staccato bit with the guitar, which I can imagine you, you can tiptoe along to. Maybe the band could have done this on stage, tiptoeing along. I mean, you could tiptoe down the street in time to this. After that, there is a short solo, which um, is a bit disappointing. I feel like a, a song with this mood might benefit from a nice long solo, like to, to get the emotions, but it seems a bit quick. And then we go into a double chorus. So, yeah, not that many lyrics in it, which is quite a surprise because it's quite a long song. It's five minutes 50. 
but it's long because it's a slower tempo. You may know it was Paul Diano's birthday this week and he turned up on my doorstep in his birthday suit. And by birthday suit, I mean his leather jacket. And as it's getting warmer now, he was in his tight green satin shorts with a white trim. So, uh, yeah, we went to the cafe. So, let's see what happened. Well, here we are, spending my birthday with you. Oh, right, is it your birthday in uh, 1981, is it? Yeah, come all this way. Yeah, quite a way to travel, isn't it, in terms of years? Yeah, but also, I'm in Japan at the moment, in 1981. It's my birthday there, we're on tour. So, it's, yeah, good experience. Great, yeah. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to me. Yo, 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 yo. Yo, 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 yo. Yo, 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 yo. What are you doing? I'm just having a bit of fun, ain't I? It's my birthday. You can't get yo-yos anymore, can ya? What, the minty chocolate biscuit? Yeah. No, I can't. Well, maybe I'll bring one for you next time. Yes, please. I'm 23 now. Catching you up. <laughs> uh, that's what I say, innit? Yeah. Well, you're older than me here, though, aren't you? Eh? Hey? In 2022? You're in your 60s? Alright, well, let's talk about me, shall we? As I say, I just come from Japan, 1981. Their restaurants are quite futuristic. Quite an eye-opener. Even more futuristic than this one, in Stetchford, in 2022. This looks like the calf's back in the 80s. Alright. I was going to bring you some sushi. I've been, oh, it's been really special to try it, but I think you can get that in every supermarket these days. Nothing special anymore, is there? All the frills of travel and culture, they've gone. You just go down the road to Aldi. Yeah. I thought I'd bring you some cake, but the best before date was over 40 years ago. It might be the same with Yo-Yo, actually. Maybe I won't bother. I thought cake wasn't affected by time travel. I remember once I asked you if the cake that you ate here, in this cafe, if it remained in your tummy when you went back in time, because it wouldn't have been baked yet, would it, back in the 80s? Yeah, but I did eat it in a version of my past that just so happened to be in the future. Huh, <laughs> strange that I'm saying this now to listeners who haven't been born yet in my time, based on that data mining you did in that last episode. How is that possible then? Their births are in my future. It's complex, isn't it? Lemon drizzle, please. Yeah, so anyway, nice to hit, nice to see you. I, I, obviously, I stretched to buying you a cake for your birthday, although I do that anyway every time. Yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, you know, I'm giving you a lot of good content, ain't I? And, you know, now's no exception. I can talk about my DVD single. <laughs> DVD? Yeah, what are you laughing at? Nothing, just DVD single. Uh, quite unusual at this time. Well, yeah, well... You may have seen in the news that Warhorse, my new project, recorded some new songs. And, uh, you know, it's great, isn't it, after what I've been through? Or after what I will go through? Uh, yeah. I tell you, it's going to get some good comments, this, good reviews. You know, that vocal I do, what, I get comments like, oh, it sounds like his old self. Oh, like a vintage performance. <laughs> wonder why that is. What, what do you mean? Are you suggesting that you recorded it? Yeah, of course I did. It's my single. No, I mean, did you, as the 1981 version of yourself, record it for the 64-year-old man that we see in the photos? Because that would make sense, wouldn't it, if you're getting reviews like that? Well, all I'm saying is, I recorded it. I think I've said too much as ever. Well, anyway, what song are you covering now in the podcast? Wasting Love. Oh, yeah, I've heard that one. 
I could tell you a thing or two about women and that sort of laugh. Yeah, this is just a poxy ballad. My slow songs were better. Anyway, where's that lemon drizzle? Bruce's voice is quite good on this. It's not raspy, but it's not vintage Bruce either. I think it suits the song. It's written by Bruce and Yannick, and I assume that Bruce did the lyrics. And as it talks of finding it hard to settle down due to being on the road, maybe it relates to his experiences. Well, I shouldn't speculate. It could also be like about what rock stars are expected to get up to. Yeah, this sort of behaviour. Oh, yeah, I don't know how I feel about it. So yeah, those exploits of rock stars at the time. And that leads me nicely into Dave Morey Fact of the Week. Hello. You may know that there was a letter written into Sounds magazine after an Iron Maiden gig in Manchester in October 1979. And it's quite a famous letter, but I'll read it out just in case you don't know about it. I would just like to warn Dave Murray, the lead guitarist of Iron Maiden, that if he steps foot inside Manchester again, I will personally pummel his brains in because he's ruined what I thought was an ace relationship with my girlfriend. And may I point out that no matter how much she rubs his name in my face, I still think Deb Brown of Withenshaw is the best yet. And that was signed by someone called Jealous Dave. Now this has been mentioned in Iron Maiden history before, so I'm not revealing a, a massive fact here. But it is a fact. But the good news for you is, I had my research team get on the case, and I tracked down Deb Brown from Withenshaw. Yeah, that's right, I messaged a girl. Although she's probably a woman now, if she went to a gig in 1979. Now she thought it was funny that I brought this up, and she revealed to me that she actually responded to it a week or so later, and it was published under a tagline, Miffed Maiden. I asked her what she said in this letter, and she said it was something along the lines of that Dave, and that's jealous Dave, not Dave Murray, he shouldn't have left to go home early. So, yeah, that is foolish, isn't it? Leaving an Iron Maiden show early. She then said she went to hang out with Dave, that's Dave Murray, not Jealous Dave, a fair few times on that tour, and the tour after. So that's exciting, isn't it? That is an interesting fact. But then she said, there's no big love story, just a bit of fun, lol. Now, lol means laugh out loud. That's like a bonus fact for you. This is an interesting story, isn't it? And when she said, just a bit of fun, I wondered what sort of fun she meant. Perhaps she played Monopoly with the band and making up the sixth player. Now we know what pieces the band liked to use, didn't we, in later lineups from a previous Dave Morey fact of the week. And I feel like I perhaps should have asked her what pieces Paul and Clive used. But yeah, as usual, I, I don't make the most of opportunities when speaking to girls. So anyway, despite that, I hope you enjoyed this week's Dave Morey Fact of the Week. I actually don't mind the feel of this song. A lot of fans don't like Wasting Love. But, you know, I suppose it does seem a bit standard, generally. And maybe the style is a bit unusual for Iron Maiden. But yeah, I think it's alright. I think a lot of people notice the similarities with the chorus Darkest Hour on Senjutsu. Now, I'd like to thank Guillaume from France. And uh, he sent a message in. Uh, and he's been listening for a while, despite Trevor's strange obsession with his country. Although he actually says I should be nicer to Trevor. Now in his message, he says it's quite similar to the song Crystal Eyes by LA Guns. And this was released in 1991. Now I didn't know this song, so I had to listen. And um, yeah, I mean it's a slow song, it's got a similar structure. 
And then there's a similar musical feel with the acoustic bits and some similar transitions. So, yeah, I think it's a good comparison. But I don't think I'd have noticed that if I'd known the song. But if you know the song, or perhaps you haven't, maybe have a listen, see, see what you think. Yeah, I'll let you be the judge and perhaps, you know, there's some homework for you. I think Wasting Love is similar to Darkest Hour in another way as well, because on that first listen, you might think, oh, that sounds okay. But the more you hear it, I feel it loses impact a bit. So with a song having a good first impact, you'd think that would be a good choice for a single. And this was actually the third single from the album. So it wasn't an attractive proposition, really, because it would have been heard on the album first. It would have been released there. But actually, it was only released in the Netherlands. I've already covered the first two singles, Be Quick or Be Dead and From Here to Eternity. I wonder what would have happened if they'd released this first. I mean, would it have been a big hit like some of those other slow rock songs I mentioned earlier? No, I don't think so. Would the fans have liked this if it was a first single? I don't think they'd have been impressed. They'd have been, what's going on here? Is this what to expect from the new album? Maybe if they'd released this first and it had got the airplay, maybe people's perception of the band might have changed. They'd be like, oh, what's this? It's a... Not what I expected from Iron Maiden. But uh, I think they made the right decision. Let's have a look at the single. Now first of all, the sleeve cover is awful. It looks like a calligraphy pen writing on some parchment. But it's actually a tattoo pen on skin writing on the name Sally. Now this is poor. It's just a rubbish sleeve. People go on about the Dance of Death cover, but this is... Ugh. In modern times, we'd say it looks like a stock photo with a poor 90s computer font on it that says Wasting Love. This probably looked dated at the time. Like that From Here to Eternity font. Rubbish. Smacks of little effort. And it's a worry that this is two releases in a row with no Eddie on the front. The B-sides were some live versions of songs from the previous album, including The Assassin. So those people I mentioned on that episode who left YouTube comments, they'd be pleased. The Ripping Corpse was one of them. I'd love to hear this again, he said. Well, now you can, whenever you like. These live songs were added to the Australian version of the Fear of the Dark album. It's a rare digipack, apparently. Now, the Netherlands had this single, but they clearly weren't impressed, because it didn't chart. And after From Here to Eternity only got to number 70 in the Dutch chart, you have to wonder why Iron Maiden did this. On the day after the release, though, they played a gig at the Brabant Hallen in Den Bosch, the Netherlands. But it seems strange that they'd release a single to coincide with one show. Maybe Bruce could promote it when he introduced the song during that gig. There is an unofficial live release called Fear in Den Bosch, which came out in 2019. So if you've got this, maybe you can verify it. Maybe Bruce did introduce it in a funny way. Now, Wasting Love does appear on the album A Real Live One, but this was a performance from a few days later in Paris. It's nice they played this song live though, isn't it? After the last couple of songs. Um, and you'll also maybe know that it was on live at Donington. Now while I moan about this sleeve, this random image, it's actually taken from the video. And that's an experience. The video's got some shadowy action happening on a bed. And when I say action, I mean like rumpy pumper. It does look like a sexy place. It looks more like a prison cell bed. And then there's this man tattooing the names of women on his body. His conquests, I suppose. We see a bit of writhing about on the bed. Some close-ups of hands and vests and shoulders. And it's not particularly sexy. I mean, we're not talking late-night film on Channel 5 starring Shannon Tweed-level sexy. We don't see much. 
Now these scenes are cut with shots of the band playing in a similar shadowy place with flames behind Nico's kit and a fan blowing in so that Yannick's hair looks good like a sort of dancing silhouette. You can't see Bruce's full face as he starts singing due to these shadows but I can tell he's washed his hair though. Yeah, hair looks nice. Despite having some sexy time on the bed you can see that the man involved in it isn't really enjoying it from his facial expression which ties in with the lyrics and theme doesn't it? Now you might ask how I'd know if a man is enjoying such things from his facial expression. Well I don't know what you're trying to imply here but it's just good acting. You can see him contemplating what he's doing. And as the song goes on, these girls names, these tattoos, they're like a curse on his body, like he's punishing himself. There's some quite odd names of women. Enid is one and uh, if you don't believe me, pause it at 4 minutes 33, there's Enid on his arm. There's Trudy and Sally. A Moira, a Jane, a Chantel. These are strange names. There's no Charlotte, or Fiona, fortunately, or Deb Brown from Withenshaw. But uh, maybe the names that are on it, maybe they were winners in a fan club competition. I'm disappointed that there's no choreography in it. They don't do that tiptoeing bit, that staccato section. Maybe they thought it was a bit dangerous with the fire behind them. As the band perform, I feel they look a bit awkward at first. Bruce sways a bit and Maybe they don't want to see the action going on in the bed across the room. Maybe they're, sort of, they're trying to show this earnest intent throughout it, which I don't think it suits. I think you know, that they don't need to act, just, just play it properly. Right, I'm going to give Trevor a ring, see what he's been up to. Hi, Wayne. Hi, Trevor, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm not bad. Wasting love, that's an interesting one. Yeah, what do you think about it? Yeah, I think it's quite nice. I suppose you can't relate to that sort of theme though, can you? Well, I can a bit. Some of those fleeting adolescent memories where people could have been treated better with a bit more maturity. And I think the hurt's evened itself out. You can break hearts as well as having your own heart broken. OK, well, yeah, not sure about that. Well, yeah. I mean, I've wasted opportunities, but at least I've had them. It's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all, as Oscar Wilde didn't say. Wasn't that Shakespeare? No. He wrote Love's Labour Lost. Oh, OK. Who was it then? Well, we've mentioned him on the podcast. Dr Faustus? No, Tennyson. Oh, right. So you don't mind the song then? Yeah, I think it's good that they tried such a thing and I think it's got quite a decent sound for what it is. I don't think Iron Maiden could do an all-out love song, but maybe this is as close as we'll get, that sort of sound. They've done slower romantic songs before with Paul Diano. Maybe you could say Revelations has got that sort of vibe, that romantic imagery. But I don't know how they'd cover it. Maybe Steve Harris could have done a song, like a historical one, about a romantic character or a love story. Maybe a fictional character like Don Quixote. Wasn't he in Roadrunner? No. Although, thinking about it, I think Nick Kershaw did a song about him. Uh, maybe Cleopatra. Although, yeah, Adam and the Ants did that, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. It's tough, isn't it? But I still don't think that you can really comment on love, you know, compared to a lot of other people and perhaps a lot of listeners. Well, I did a Trevor's Love Tip once, remember, on a Ko-Fi post when I did Trevor's Takeover Thursdays. They were good times, but you said they were complaints. Yeah, wasn't that about some sort of game about sharing licorice all sorts? Yeah. Yeah, well, I think it was the phrase Trevor's Love Tip that caused the problem. Anyway, I had a comment from Paul Davies after you 
said last week about doing other podcasts. All right. He said that maybe you could do a podcast about Mark Bolan, call it the T-Rev T-Rex podcast, Children of the T-Revolution. Nah. Okay, well, that's the end of that then. Have you got a poem? Have you got a poem this week? Yeah. Are you ready? Yeah, go on. I remember it was the twenty seventh of December, the day after Step split up, when I knew I would not marry you, Zodiac from the Gladiators. I had to move on. I tore down the posters and wept for an hour. An infatuation better best forgotten. A tragedy worse than Shakespeare, but I'm still here, wasting love on someone new. Right, well, that sounded okay, but it didn't sound like a verse, just sounded like you were reading some words. Yeah, well, thought it was all right again. Looks good written down. Maybe we should explain who Steps were, as I don't think they had international stardom. Yeah, well, they were a pop band with a man called H in it, and he wasn't Adrian Smith. Yeah, the uh, pop, yeah, from about 20 years ago, isn't he? But uh, I've got a feeling he put some of their song titles in that poem, but I'll pretend I don't know them. I'm sure on a recent episode you mentioned that you were still sending Valentine's cards to Zodiac from the Gladiators, until maybe recently. Well, I don't want to talk about it. It's all there in the poem. All right, I'll speak next week then. Uh, I've got The Fugitive, so uh, look forward to that. OK, thanks, Wayne. Bye. Right, you can follow me on social media. I'm at Wayne Maiden on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram and probably some other places. I'm also on Ko-Fi where you can leave a tip and there's some extra content there now and again. So yeah, if you're interested in that, the link's in the show notes. And thank you to anyone who has bought a Frey Bentos because I appreciate the times are difficult right now. I did recently surpass 666 followers on Twitter which is something that an Iron Maiden-related Twitter account should probably celebrate. But I knew that if I did mention it, it'd probably drop down below 666 and I'd look stupid. And this did happen. I first noticed it a couple of weeks ago and I thought, oh yeah, that's good, isn't it? I'll mention that. And then Trevor did some Eurovision bits and then, yeah, it dropped, didn't it? 664. So that was disappointing. But anyway, now it's up there, so thank you very much for following and interacting as well, liking and retweeting and all those things. It's important. It means I know someone's listening, except my mum and my mum's friend Christine. There's big news, of course, this week, because the band have started their tour again, Legacy of the Beast, started in Croatia. And, uh, yeah, the first show was Sunday. And the set list was announced, which was good, because now we can see what they're going to play. And, yeah, as people may have predicted, Three songs off Senjutsu, and a mix of the old ones that were on the set list before Covid. Although Blood Brothers was an addition. Of course, people have their own opinions, don't they? No one's going to be happy with the set list, with such a back catalogue. It's always going to be moaning. Don't know why they bother. Oh, too many mid-paced songs. Oh, they've dropped a classic song for one of the Blay songs. Oh, they're not playing Transylvania, so I can't do Wayne's lyrics to it. All these complaints that you always get. We should be grateful they're doing anything. Now, for anyone who's concerned that they're not playing Transylvania, so they can't do my lyrics to it, and they're not playing Wrathchild, so you can't do my dance to it, remember that you can do the dance to Wrathchild for most songs, so there's no excuse. And if you're flagging by the end of the set, they close it with Aces High, so you can do that running, scrambling move that I did in the back garden. 
I'll get the energy levels back up. So yeah, I'll practice that before you go. But uh, I'm glad to see they have included one of those songs. So yeah, get people going around you, do the dance, and then everyone will join in. And they'll say, where did you get that dance move from? And you can say, Wayne's Iron Maiden podcast. And then uh, might get some more listeners. So yeah, thanks in advance for doing it. So that's Wasting Love. As I've said, this is a strange song for Iron Maiden. And I can't see it fitting onto any album from the 1980s. Now people complain about songs like Strange World being slow, but that's excellent, so you can stop that. I feel this fits in with some of the other songs we've had lately. It's it's not bad, but we expect a bit more from Iron Maiden. But I don't mind it overall. This is track 6 of 12 tracks, so it's the end of the first half, and the end of side 2 of the double album. I think this keeps the interest. It's enough to make you want to carry on listening. So it's possibly an improvement on the last two, in my opinion. But realistically, they're, they're all about the same level. Next week, we've got The Fugitive, which opens side two, although I think technically it's side three of the double album. But uh, yeah, looking forward to that. So hopefully you can join me and uh, speak next week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>